Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for all the 12 nights we were able to spend together and uh, to study your word and for the many things that we have learned straight from your word. And we are grateful because our hearts have been warmed and we have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit leading. And Father, tonight, one more time, we invite you to be in our midst and we pray, Lord, that you enlighten our minds, that you guide our studies and let us learn what you want us to learn and let us make a decision that you want us to make. For we pray in Jesus' name, let everyone say amen. amen. So here we go. I would like to start with this. There is a hunger for what kind of Christianity, friends? Genuine, genuine Christianity. A lot of people, they sometimes they look into the Christian circles and they are disappointed when they see religious leaders sometimes falling into adultery or they see certain religions exploring or exploiting the people, asking for money and money and money and uh, for lack of spirituality in the members and people are hungry for genuine Christianity. Friends, um, if you turn to the world, there is no satisfaction there because materialism has not what, everyone? Satisfied. So more we make, more we feel that we need more and that we are not satisfied and we are longing to have a little more, a little more, and a little more. And we spend our time working and overworking and we neglect true spirituality, a through a authentic relationship with God. Friends, Pleasure seeking has not what everyone satisfied either. It might satisfy for a little bit, but eventually, you know, sooner or later, the individual comes to the realization that he is not complete, that he or she needs something more substantial to feed the, the emptiness of the soul. I like to say that in our hearts, in our, in, inside our beings, we have this void which is in the shape of God, in the shape of who, everyone? Of God. And you can try to fill that hole, that uh, place with all kinds of different things, but it never perfectly fit the hole. And the only one that can complete and fill that hole is God himself. Friends, the truth is that around the world, people are hungry, and sometimes they don't even know for what, but some people are realizing that they are hungry for something that truly satisfies the soul, and that is the Word of God. And the problem is a lot of people, they don't know where to turn. I want the Word of God. I want to understand the Bible. I want to understand about the last days. I want to understand the book of Revelation. Where do I go? Where do I get to understand God's Word? There is a fame in the land, and that fame is of the Word of God. Does God call a people on earth today His church? And we are going to see that straight from the Bible, because we want to be where Christ wants us to be. We want to become a part of His people. Friends, I want to show you tonight that throughout the ages, God has had a people that He called His own people. Are we together so far? So let me start all the way, and I could go even farther than this, but I want to start with, you know, Noah. Noah and his family, when they were on earth proclaiming about the flood and building the flood and warning the people that the judgment was coming, a lot of people didn't pay attention, didn't hear his preaching, and they ignore. But it says here in the slide, in the days of Noah, the majority did what, everyone? rejected God's call, but God still had a few, what everyone, 
faithful people who enter the ark. I want you to notice that, that, um, you know, God's people, they are oftentimes, if not all times, in minority. They are in what, everyone? Minority. And we see that clearly in the case of Noah and his family before the flood. So, and then in the book of Genesis, we find Abraham. We find who, everyone? Abraham, he was called by God, a special call to be God's representative on this earth and his family because he feared God, he loved God, and he wanted to do what was right. But there was a problem with Abraham. His family himself, even his dad, they were worshiping what, everyone? idols okay in the house of his dad and God says you can't actually raise your family there and preserve the knowledge of the true God of there you must come out you must come out and go to the land that I'm going to show you so God could preserve the knowledge of the true God on earth through Abraham and his family notice what we find in the book of Genesis chapter 26 and verse 5 if you want to follow go there you're welcome but just you know going quickly here to a verses before we go to revelation the bible says in genesis 26 verse 5 because abraham did what if you want obeyed my voice and kept my charge my what if you want commandments my statutes and my my laws that's why god decided to call him to be the one that would preserve the knowledge of the true god and abraham and his family was called the people of god on earth and they gave orange to to the hebrew nation to the hebrew people we know that the Hebrews eventually became slaves in Egypt and God raised another man to deliver his people. Who was this man, everyone? It was Moses. Moses. He was a Hebrew man. He had privileges because, remember, the daughter of Pharaoh found him in the river when he was a baby and raised him. But when he grew up, God said, I have a mission for you. I want you to deliver my people from Egypt. So that God would preserve the knowledge of himself on earth. So we see here throughout sacred history. What kind of history, everyone? Sacred history that God always has a people on earth. And he chooses people to preserve the knowledge of truth. It's not different, friends, when we see the formation of the nation of Israel. And then when they rejected the Messiah... Then God called the Christian church through the apostles. We find in the day of Pentecost, that's in Acts chapter 2. You don't need to turn there, but just making a reference here. We see that in one day, how many people were baptized? 3,000 people were baptized on the day of Pentecost. As, as Peter was preaching the present truth, what kind of truth, everyone? present truth there are many precious truths in the word of god but there is always what is called present truth the truth that god has for a specific time that he wants to uh, you know his people to proclaim on earth and they were preaching present truth that christ was the messiah that the messiah would give his life on the cross and that the messiah would rise again to be our intercessor now, I want you to go with me to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go there in, your, in our Bibles. We are going to what book, everyone? 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's turn our Bibles there. First, oh, look what I have in my Bible. I have a visitor here. It's just a little insect. So let's go to, um, let's go to 1 Peter. So, so even the insects are searching for the Word of God. You better be searching, friends. 
you better be searching. You know, when Christ says even the rocks will, will cry out, friends, time is running short. So let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we are going to verse 9. What verse, everyone? 9. The Bible says here, notice carefully, the Bible says, notice, but you, talking about the Christian church, okay, those that accepted Jesus as the Messiah and formed, the, you know, the apostolic church. It says here, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy what everyone? Holy nation. This word holy, it means it has been set aside. It has been set apart for holy purpose for God's purpose so you are a holy nation and then he says his own special what have you won people now I ask you a question does God has a people on earth yes or no most definitely here he says referring to the Christian church in the days of the apostles that they were God's special what have you won people so that is very clear from scriptures and then it says for what reason god has called us or the church his special people that you may do whatever you want proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous whatever you want light the purpose of god's people is to proclaim god's truth you know, light is referring to the truth of God. Now I want to take you to 1 Timothy. What book are we going now? 1 Timothy. And we are going to chapter 3. So we're going to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So you go back for a little bit. And I want you to see what the Bible has to say here. We are going to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we are going to read verse 15. I want you to see here. What is the purpose of the church? We already began seeing that. It is to proclaim the light of God, the knowledge of the true God. Notice what it says. We are reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in where, everyone? In the house of God, which is what? The church. So the house of God now is the church of the living God. And then he says about the church, the house of God, the pillar and ground of what, if you want? Of the truth. This, friends, you need to understand what the Bible is saying here. The Bible is saying that God's church, God's what, if you want? Church. It is the pillar and ground of something. What is that something? It says it is the truth. Friends, I want to tell you tonight here, and we're going to explore the Bible much further tonight, but I want to introduce to you, this is a key text that you need to pay attention. It says very clear, if you want to go to a church which is considered to be God's people, God's church, you must seek for a church where you find what, everyone? you find the truth because the church, according to this verse, is the pillar and the ground of nothing else but what, everyone? The truth. We know that in first place, Jesus is the truth. But notice what Jesus himself said in John chapter 17 and verse 17. Sanctify them by your what, everyone? Truth. Your what? Your word is truth. In other words, the pillar and the ground of the true church of God is the word of God. Are we together tonight? We must look for a church that abides or has as a foundation of its teachings the word of God. 
We also find in John 8, 32, and you shall know the what, everyone? The truth. And what happens when we know the truth? And the truth shall make you you're free. That's the desire that God has for each one of us. He wants to set us free from sin, free from guilt, free from sorrow, free from heresy and falsehood. And he presents what as the remedy for all those problems? The truth. The truth. And the church must be the agent. It must be what, everyone? The agent to bring the truth to the world, to preserve the knowledge of the true God. If that is clear, let me hear you say amen. So notice what we have here in this slide. When you find the truth, look for a church that does what, everyone? That teaches the truth. Okay, so that's very logical. That is very logical according to the scriptures. Now, let me take you to 1 Peter again. Actually, that's not 1 Peter. Let me see what reference is that. I have the wrong reference here. Yes, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm not sure if you're going to find there, but uh, maybe someone can help me here. I know it's in the book of one of the epistles of Peter. Um, so notice what it says here. I'm going to read and hopefully you can find. If it is not, I don't think it's the right uh, quote here, a reference, I should say. Um, no, it's not. But um, notice it said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a what? A defense to everyone who asks you for a what, everyone? A reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Did you find this reference? Where is that? Did somebody find here? So I'll keep going and uh, if someone... First Peter 3.15. So excuse me for that. You're very gracious tonight, so thank you for that. But Friends, here it says, according to what we see here, is that we must be ready for something. What is that something? To give a what? A defense. A defense of what? To everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So, friends, many times, you know, the cycle goes like this. If you ask somebody, like, why do you go... Or we should, I should take a step back. So sometimes we ask people like, you know, what do you believe? And then people say, I believe what my church believes. And then we go around and ask, what does your church believe? And then people say, my church believes what I believe. <laughs> okay, so what do you and your church believe? Well, we believe the same. And we go around because not many people today are able to give a reason for the hope that is in them. But Peter is saying here, friends, Peter is saying here that you must be able to give a reason for why you believe what you believe. Okay, And that reason must be found where, everyone? In the Word of God, in the Bible, because remember, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth, okay? So, and tonight, friends, I'm going to share with you what is the hope that is in me from the Word of God, and I hope that that will resonate with you, and you're going to be able to understand from scriptures um, why we should believe what we believe and what kind of faith we must exercise and all that must be from the Bible. Notice carefully here. While we may appreciate our what, if you want? Our past. 
We commit ourselves to following how much of God's truth? All the truth God has for us today. Why do I say that, friends? You know, like, uh, friends, let me be frank with you. All the churches in the world, the, the Christian church, they have, you know, like pieces or chunks or good portions of truth. And we can learn truth from every denomination we go to. Are we together tonight? Is that clear? I'm not ready to say that every, you know, like single or most or several denominations, they have nothing right to teach about the Word of God. Not at all. You know, in fact, we find a prophecy in the Bible, friends, where God says for His people to come out of a false system of religion which is undermining God's salvific grace. And He says, come out of her, my people. Did you hear what I said? What kind of people must come out? God's people. So God has people in every single denomination and they are learning about God and they are growing their experience and we can appreciate our past and the things that we have learned. But friends, when truth comes to us, when what comes to us, everyone? Truth comes to us. We all are faced with a decision to make and we must make a decision. We must make a decision to appreciate our past but to move on and continue to grow in the knowledge of, tr of truth. Friends, the moment we start rejecting truth, we are basically saying to the Holy Spirit, you know, Holy Spirit, please, you know, I have appreciated your guidance so far, but right now I don't want you to guide my life anymore. Please, please, please. And he will respect you because he's a gentleman. So we must be very carefully, you know, in not allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to guide our Christian experience. So notice carefully. It, if it is in the Bible, what happens? I believe if it disagrees with the Bible, guess what? It's not for me. And tonight we're going to study about two women. How many women? Two women. Both of them are found in the book of Revelation. Okay, so, and I want to focus on the first one. And we're going to learn about what these two women symbolize. And let's go to Revelation chapter 12. So we are going to center our study here tonight in Revelation chapter 12. And in Revelation chapter 12, we find, as I said, this woman that is dressed with the sun and is standing on the moon, and she has 12 stars on her head. And the first question we should ask, you know, who is this woman, or what does this woman represent? And we can find the answer in, in the Bible. So I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians. You can mark your Bible in Revelation 12. And we're going quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 to understand more of this symbolism that God gives in the book of Revelation. And we can see throughout scriptures, friend, both the Old and the New Testament, that woman often represents in Bible prophecy the church. The what, everyone? The church. Notice carefully here what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. For I am jealous for, what is the next word? For you. I'm not sure if the battery is new here, and I don't know if John is here. Do you know if it was changed tonight? Because I see it's kind of cutting, you know. In, okay, so notice what it says here. For I am jealous for what, everyone? For you. When he says you, he's talking about the church at Corinth. The what at Corinth? The church. For I am jealous for you, the church, with godly jealousy. For I have done what? 
betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a what, everyone? A chaste virgin to Christ. And Christ is supposed to be that one husband that he is preparing the church for. And the church is compared here as a what, everyone? A chaste virgin or a woman. Is that clear? Let me give you another reference, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. In Ephesians chapter 5, 25, we find this parallel between, you know, husband and wife and Christ and the church. And I want you to see, it's a clear parallel that God is trying to communicate here. Notice, to say that the relationship he has with his people is like the marriage relationship. You know, he wants intimacy with his people. He wants to be connected with them and have a relationship with them. The Bible says, husbands... Love your what? Your wife. So you have husbands and wives in one side. And then it says, just as Christ also loved what, everyone? The church and gave himself for her. So it's very clear that the husband's here is a symbol of what? Of Christ. And the wives is a symbol of what? The church. And the husbands must be just as Christ was for the church. Okay, so notice, let's go back to Revelation chapter 12 and let's continue to study about that woman there. But I want you to understand the context. Understand what, everyone? The context. Because we are going to see that that woman, that church, will be severely persecuted. And you need to understand why. Where did all that start? We kind of know a lot because we've been studying, but let's just review quickly what we find in Revelation 12, you know, from verse 7 all the way to verse um, 9, the rebellion of Satan or Lucifer against God, where? In heaven, okay? So we have this, you know, this rebellion developing there. And then we find in verse 7 and verse 8 that who wins in the battle that began in heaven? Christ wins, Satan loses let's read in verse 9 what it says so the dragon the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him so christ wins satan loses in heaven but Satan was not happy with that loss. And then we find that Satan tries to destroy who, everyone? Christ. Because he tried to destroy the human family. And then Christ comes to redeem the, the human family. And when Christ comes, Satan says, now is my chance to destroy Christ. Let's pick up the reading in verse 4. What verse are we now? Verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. We are in Revelation 12. And verse 4, and I want to read the right in the middle of the verse where it says, And the dragon, are you there? Notice what it says. And the dragon stood before what, everyone? The woman who was ready to give birth. So the church was ready to give birth. And then we know who is that child that came through the church. It says to devour her child as soon as it was born. Who is this child that was born out of this woman? This is Christ Jesus. We can clearly see in the next verses. But here we have Christ being introduced in the world through God's people. 
more precisely the Jewish nation. Christ came through the Jewish nation and that traces back to like for instance prophecies like Micah chapter 5 verse 2 showing that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem right in the, in the Jewish nation introduced to save the people of the world. But who wanted to destroy the child as soon as the child was born? And by the way, some people say that this woman is Mary, and you're going to see that this woman has no chance to be Mary because as we develop this this chapter, we find that this woman is persecuted for 1260 years. And that never happened with Mary. So I just want to, you know, give you that uh, parenthesis there so let's go back here so to devour her child as soon as it was born notice in verse um, 5 she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a what if you want rod of iron so that's jesus the one that would become a ruler of all nations now let's just review this event when satan tried to destroy you know jesus christ that was born through the church the agency of the jewish church that was god's people at that time so mary was pregnant waiting Jesus they traveled to Bethlehem and he was born there in fulfillment of Bible prophecy and then what happens is that uh, you know Herod tried to kill Jesus as soon as he was born because he heard that the Messiah was coming and then he wanted to destroy used by Satan he tried to destroy Jesus as soon as he was born he you know asked to kill all the babies two years old and younger with the hope to kill the messiah and destroy the king of the jews because he was afraid of the king of the jews now it says here that this child was cut up to god and his throne that's the resurrection and ascension of jesus christ and friends jesus he died first in the cross of Calvary and then he was raised again and was cut up to heaven to be with God the Father in his throne. Now here we have Christ wins and what happens with Satan? Satan loses. Episode 1, Christ wins, Satan loses. He's expelled from heaven. Episode number 2, Christ gives his life and he resurrects and Satan loses and Christ wins. Now let's go to number 3 because Satan now becomes really angry after this. He becomes what if you want? Angry. After losing for the second time for Christ on his territory that he claimed to be his, he became the prince of this world. Now he becomes really really angry and he channels all this anger to something and i want you to see that in episode three that we're going to see in bible prophecy is satan tries to destroy who now christ church let's pick up uh, here the prophecy in verse six because in verse five we have christ ascending up to heaven after his resurrection and he overcomes satan by his death and resurrection but in verse six the bible says notice what the bible says then the woman that's the church fled into where the wilderness okay where she has a place prepared by god for how long that they should feed her there 1260 what days we already know that in bible prophecy one day is equal to what everyone one literal year we are talking about bible prophecy here not any 
passage of the Bible, and you can have a reference there, Ezekiel 4, 6, number 14, 34. You learn that one day in Bible prophecy is equal to one year. Therefore, there was a persecution against the church for 1260 years. So let's read verse 13. Jump with me in verse 13. In verse 13, we are going to see what happened there. It says here, Now when the dragon saw that he had been what, everybody? Cast to the earth. He did what with the church? He persecuted the woman or the church who gave birth to the male child. He's just saying, it's talking about, you know, like God's people, the ones that received the Messiah. That church will be persecuted by the devil because the devil is angry. He is furious after losing his battle against Christ. And he turns his anger, his wrath, on the woman, the Christian church. And we see the Christian church being severely persecuted. Not only during the 1260 years, which is from 538 AD to 1798, that 1260 years period that, that we already saw in the Dark Ages, but even in the 1st and the 2nd and the 3rd century, pagan Rome persecuted the Christians with beads, you know, throwing in the Colosseum and to entertain the people. And we see lots of martyrs. All but one of the disciples died a martyr's death. Who was that one disciple that didn't die as a martyr? It was John. And not because they didn't try to kill him. That was Peter, by the way, that was crucified upside down. And by his request, he didn't feel worthy to die as his master. And he says, crucify me upside down. But John, they tried to put him, uh, they tried to kill him. They tried to put him in a, in a how, do you, how do you call it, a pot? Yeah, filled with boiling oil. And he was thrown there. He went inside and he came outside and nothing happened with him. It was a miraculous deliverance from God. And he was sent to the island of Patmos where he received a vision of revelation. And that's why we have the book of Revelation. Now, notice here what it says. Church and state did what, everyone? United in the days of Constantine. And I like to say, if I was going to redo this slide here, I would say state and church united. What's the difference between church and state and state and church? Do you know the difference? There is a difference. State and church, the state controls the church. And that was happened during the days of Constantine. But later on, in 538, when the 1260 years began, it was no longer state and church. It was what, everyone? church and state where the church controlled the state even dictating or the kings of the earth had to be asked permission to begin their reign so and that's what we have especially in 538 when the bishop of rome receives supreme power not only ecclesiastically but also state power political power to reign over the nations of europe but on the other hand, friends, we have that pure woman being persecuted during the 1260 years, and she flies or she flees to the wilderness. We have in Revelation 17, another woman, another what, if you want? Another woman. Okay, and I want you to go with me there to Revelation 17. Because remember... The pure church, the one dressed with the sun, the one that, uh, you know, tried to remain faithful to Christ and is fleeing Satan and his persecution during the 1260 years of the Dark Ages, that one she fled to where, everyone? Do you remember? The wilderness. But I want you to see that uh, she goes to the wilderness and another woman goes after her. 
Notice in Revelation 17, verse 3. Notice carefully. Verse 3. The Bible says, So he, that's in vision, he carried me away in the spirit into the, what everyone? In the wilderness. So John is taken here into a vision, and he goes and he sees a wilderness. And what does he see there? And I saw also a what? A woman sitting on a scarlet beast. We already know that a beast in Bible prophecy symbolized political power. And the woman now, we already learned that it symbolizes a church. So what we have here, we have, you know, who is in control? The one that is under or the one that is on top? On top. So we see this woman controlling the state power. And notice what it says here. So we see that the pure woman goes to the wilderness fleeing from persecution. And then another woman jumps into a beast and goes in the wilderness as well. And then the Bible says here in verse 6, jump with me to verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with what, everyone? The blood of the saints and with the blood of the, of the martyrs of Jesus. What sin do you see here in Bible prophecy happening in the wilderness? A sin of what, everyone? Persecution. Okay, a scene of persecution where those that want to remain faithful to God's word are being persecuted. Now, let me tell you something about those that went to the wilderness that were faithful. These are God's true church in the wilderness. Some of them are known as the Waldenses. Have you ever heard about the Waldenses? So these are Bible-believing Christians that could not exercise their faith in the Bible, and they had to leave everything they had, and they went to the mountains of Italy, and they had their own farms, their own uh, even caves in some cases, so they could hide every time they were persecuted. And uh, they lived their lives there. They had their own schools, and they trained their young people. And before they would become a minister, before they would become a what of you want? A minister, they have to spend three years in the mission field spreading the word of God, not openly, but they would hide portions of the Bible in their clothes. They would write with their hands because they didn't have printing in those days. So they would, you know, copy the Bible with their hands. They would put pieces of the Bible in their clothes. They would go as merchants, as what, everyone? Merchants, selling all different kinds of things. And then when they found somebody interested in the Word of God, they would share the Word of God, and they were successful in many times. But sometimes they were caught, and they were killed and persecuted. And, um, and that happens with many of them. Many of them never came back. But they spread the Word of God. They were just one of them. But there were other you know, Bible-believing groups, even in France, and in England and other countries like Scotland that were hiding. They were in the wilderness. They were not easily seen. I want you to realize that. God's people during the 1260 years, during what year did I say? The 1260, you wouldn't find, if you tried to look, you went to the major towns of the time, you went to the mega nations of the time, you wouldn't find God's people. They were where, everyone? In the wilderness, hiding. But as they were there from time to time, it would come another woman with the state power to persecute and to kill. Friends, I can tell you stories, but I don't want to hold you you know, all night. But you can hear, you can read books about the Waldenses, you know, how they were persecuted, their crops were destroyed. Sometimes they would uh, be persecuted all the way to the caves where they hid themselves and they would put torches of fire and uh, opening of the cave. And of course, because of the smoke, they had to come out or else they would die inside there. As they put their heads out, they would be chopped. 
but they remain faithful friends. And you see, if you go to Italy today, you have towns that were established by the remaining, the remnant of the Waldenses. You know, so they got tired of so much persecution. When the Protestant Reformation came, a lot of them were discouraged, but they got encouraged with the Protestant Reformation. The reformers were persecuted for their faith as well, like Martin Luther and many others, as they were trying to stand for the word of God. Friends, in that third episode, Christ wins and Satan what? Loses. Even though he was persecuting the church and using the powers that were at that time, he lost it because the word of God was spreaded. And that's why we have the word of God in our hands tonight. Would you say amen for that? That's why the Word of God is spread throughout and anyone can read the Word of God if they wish. They can find in the internet, they can find, they can upload apps and they can find a, a printing copy of the Bible. Some places easier than others. Notice what we find here. At the end of the 1260 years, that brought us to 1798. And we learned the wilderness period happened what? What happened with the wilderness period? It ends, you know, like uh, when the, we have um, the Roman Catholic Church and state losing political power when France put the Pope in prison. But that's not it. It's not just the fact of going on in prison, but losing what kind of power? Political power. Okay, so that was the end of the 1260 years that we find in Bible prophecy where the true woman, what kind of woman did I say? woman could not be seen but she was hiding where everyone in the wilderness notice what it says here the book of revelation describes the identifying characteristics of who god's last day people and friends is right here in revelation 12 because i want you to see that revelation 12 is taking us into a journey into a what everyone a journey. We see that there was, you know, the Jewish church and the Messiah came through the Jewish church. And then we see that Jesus ascended into heaven and the church of God now through the apostolic stage goes into persecution, fly, flees into the wilderness for 1260 years all the way to 1798. You can't find God's people. And then you see after 1798 something happening. And I want to take you to Revelation chapter 12. Let's go to verse 16. Revelation chapter 12, verse 16. Friends, this is amazing. Right after that persecution that you find in verses 13, 14, and 15, the 12, 60 years, the time, times, the dividing of time, something amazing happens with that woman, with that true church that was hiding in the wilderness. Notice what happens here in verse 16. But the, what if you want? The earth helped the woman oh maybe some of you don't even realize how significant is this sentence right over here the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon has uh, spewed out of his mouth so let's meditate on this text who helped the woman the earth what does that mean in bible prophecy Friends, do you remember that in Revelation 13, what chapter? You have how many beasts? Two beasts. One rises out of the sea, just like all the other four beasts of Daniel chapter 7. They all rise out of the sea. And one rises out of the, the earth. Do you remember that? And we studied the other night that the one that rises out of the earth is the United States of America. And we saw that the earth was a place where there was absence of what, everyone? 
before you go there, there, the earth is a place where there is absence of what? Of waters. Okay, so earth is a place where there is absence of waters. Okay, so, and we know that the waters or sea, you know, the great waters in Bible prophecy symbolize what, everyone? It says there, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are what? Peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Okay, so you, you see here that the nations of the earth is in support of that other woman, which is called the harlot, right over here. But uh, the earth is a place where there is absence of water, absence of nations, absence of peoples and multitudes and tongues. Friends, we learn that the earth is a symbol of the new world. What kind of world did I say? The new world. Do you understand when I say the expression new world? Okay, so the old world is talking about Europe, especially North Africa, Middle East, Asia. But the new world is talking about the Americas. Are you following? That's where a new beast rose from the new world or the earth where there was absence of peoples and tongues and multitudes and nations. Now, friends, when the Bible says that the earth, let's go back there to verse 16. Let's go back to verse 16. Notice what it says. The earth did what with the woman? Helped the woman. So this woman migrates or immigrates to another location of the world. She was in the wilderness where the other woman was persecuted on top of a beast. But now she migrates to another region of the world. And that is called, right over here, the earth. Where there is absence of nations, people, tongues, and multitudes. The, the, the church migrates to the new world. Are we together? So notice carefully here. Let's move on here. Go to verse 17, friends. And this is important because that's just an identifying characteristic. And I'm, I'm going to go back on that in a little bit. But that's important for you to understand that the true church of God. What kind of church did I say, everyone? The true church, you have to expect to see her rising, okay, or coming out of the wilderness experience and appearing where, everyone? On the earth, okay? So, which is an opposite region of the world from where the magnations of Daniel and Revelation rise in the old worlds. In the new world, we expect to see the church of God. Now, let's go to verse 17. It gives more characteristics there in verse 17. Notice carefully, we find two more characteristics. The Bible says the dragon continues to be enraged against that church, that woman. It says here, and the dragon was what, everyone? Enraged with the woman, and he went to make war. What? War with the rest of her offspring. Do you see this expression here, the rest? You know, some translation says the word remnants. The word what, everyone? Remnant, the leftover, whatever is left of the children of that church. Notice what it says here. The dragon went to make war. And then it says, who are they? Who what? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So is that a clear identifying characteristic of God's people? Sometime after 1798, after coming out of the wilderness experience in the new world, we would see God's people and one of their identifying characteristics in the new world is to keep the commandments of God. 
And uh, when we say keep the commandments of God, we're basically saying responding to Christ's love and allowing him to change our lives so our lives can be in harmony with the principles of righteousness. Okay, so keep the commandments of God is a characteristic of God's people. And when we say keep the commandments of God, you have to understand, friends, the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 12, wrong reference, and uh, you are so gracious to allow me to make these little mistakes here, but in James chapter 2, verse 12, uh, actually verse 10, excuse me, verse 10, it says, For whoever shall keep how much of the law? The whole law, and yet stumble in how many points? At one point is guilty of how much? Of all. For some reason, the math with God when it comes to morality is not the same as our math. The math of God is either all or nothing. In other words, he wants you to give your hearts to him either all or nothing. We either surrender our lives to Christ or guess what? We are not surrendered to Christ. It's either one way or another. There is no halfway. And friends... If the church of God, listen carefully, if the church of God keep the commandments of God, and for Christ, if you break one point, you are guilty of all, that means that the church of God is seeking to keep how many of God's commandments? All the Ten Commandments. And that, of course, includes the Sabbath commandment, which we find in the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy works, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. So we can start right here uh, from the commandments, but right there in the commandments, we find the Sabbath commandment too as identifying characteristics of God's people in the last days. Revelation describes commandment keeping people in the last days. Now, not because they are legalists, but they are allowing God to write his laws in their hearts and minds, friends. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Now, let's go back here to Revelation 12. What chapter are we now? Revelation 12. So, you know, I see that some of you are getting tired already. You know, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Notice what it says here. Another identifying characteristic is, notice at the end, they keep the commandments of God and have the what, everyone? The testimony of Jesus Christ. What does that mean, the testimony of Jesus Christ? They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Friends, let me take you to Revelation chapter 19. What chapter are we going now? Revelation chapter 19, this is important, okay? Let's go there. You need to understand what is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this is another identifying characteristic of God's people in the last days. We are going to Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to read verse 10, and we're going to compare. We're going to do what, everyone? Compare Revelation 19 verse 10 with Revelation 12 verse 17 that we just read. That we are God's people. They have the testimony of Jesus. In verse 10 of chapter 19, the Bible says, And I fell, that's John, at, the, at his feet, the feet of the angel, to worship him. But he said to me, what did he say to John? See thou that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have what everyone? The testimony of Jesus, worship God, and then he gives the definition of the testimony of Jesus. For the testimony of Jesus is what everyone? The spirit of prophecy. What is the testimony of Jesus again? The spirit of prophecy. Compare the two texts over here. Right over here and the slide for you. Revelation 12, 17 says that God's people, they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 19, verse 10 says the testimony of Jesus is the what? 
the spirit of prophecy. But did you notice in verse 10? Did you notice in verse 10 who receives the spirit of prophecy? Did you notice that? Yes or no? No? You can say no, that's okay. <laughs> notice here in the Bible. Revelation 19, verse 10. I want you to tell me who receives the spirit of prophecy. It's, it says here, yeah, John received, no doubt about it. That's the gift of becoming a prophet and prophesying for God. That's the testimony of Jesus or the spirit of prophecy. But I want you to see who receives in verse 10. Let's read it again. And I fell at, the feet of, at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See thou do it not. I am your fellow servant, notice, and of your what? Brothering who have the testimony of Jesus. So according to this verse, who receives the testimony of Jesus? The brothering. Did you see that? The brothering. And the logical question would be, who are the brothering? Are you following? Go with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, not far from there. And make sure you have your Bible still marked in the book of Revelation chapter 12. Okay, so notice what it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 9. What verse are we? 9. The Bible says, again, John wanted to worship the angel, but the, the angel rebuked him. And uh, then he said to me, See thou that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren. Who is the brethren of John? The prophets. So, friends, according to the Bible, God's people in the last days, they have the testimony of Jesus. Is that clear? Yes or no? And that means that God's people in the last day, they have the spirit of prophecy. Is that clear? Yes or no? And uh, the ones that receive the spirit of prophecy is the brethren. Is that clear? Yes or no? And the brethren are who, everyone? The prophets. That means that... That means that God's people in the last days, they will have the gift of prophecy manifested through a prophet. Are we together, everyone? That's Bible, friends. That's what the Bible says. Friends, we ought to expect God's people having the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit impart gifts. The Holy Spirit impart what, everyone? Gifts, and that includes the gift of prophecy. Notice what we find in 1 Corinthians 1 7 so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the church who is waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ in the last days, they will come short of how many gifts? No gift, no gift. So we can expect to see God's people in the last days having the manifestation of the gift of prophecy, of the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. Now let's go on here, friends. Another statement. The true church will be a, what kind of movement? A worldwide movement. It begins in the earth, you know, and the new world. But it doesn't stop there. It becomes a worldwide movement committed to Christ and obedient to His to his word. How do I know that? Because this is just a review. You should know that. Okay, but uh, in Matthew 24, another mistake there. I apologize for that. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, And these gospel of the kingdom will be preached in how much of the world? All the world as a witness to all nations. And then what's going to happen? 
the end will come. So we see that God's people at the end, when the end comes, they have a worldwide impact. Are you following? And we ought to expect that it cannot be a little church, you know, that only happens in a certain location and, uh, and it's not impacting the whole world. Revelation also describes a special last day movement. Where do we find that, friends? Revelation chapter 14. Let's go there to Revelation chapter 14. Right, not very far from where we see, uh, you know, God's people coming out of the wilderness experience after 1798 and appearing in the new world with the characteristic of keeping God's commandments and also having the testimony of Jesus, which is the gift of prophecy. And we find Revelation 14, a proclamation that encompassed the whole world. And I want you to see what it says here in verse 6, 14 verse 6, the Bible says, Then I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to how many nations? Every nation, just as Jesus prophesied that, uh, you know, the message at the end would go to every nation. And here we see the assistance of the holy angels. And then it says to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And what is the message? We find the three angels' message. The first one says in verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his, what everyone? Judgment has come. Friends, how do you give glory to God? Because it says, fear God and give glory to Him, friends. We give glory to God through our lifestyle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever thing that you do, do all for the glory of God. Okay, so through a lifestyle that is... Uh, that glorifies God, we uplift His name. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, There are bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we ought to take care of our bodies and have a lifestyle that glorifies God. That's what it means to fear God and give glory to Him. Now, notice here, God's final message for mankind declares what, everyone? The hour of His judgment that's what we find in the first angel's message fear god and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come in verse 7 there in revelation 14 we find worship him who made worship the creator god who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water there is no other way to worship the creator other than keeping the sabbath holy the seventh day the sabbath is part of god's last day message that's why god's people they keep all the commandments of god and they don't stumble even one because if you neglect one you're guilty of all now we find another message in verse 8 but i want to skip to verse 9 that's another characteristic of god's people they must proclaim the three angels message and the third one says then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice look the message if anyone worship the what everyone the beast you must look for a church who is preaching those things and his image that we saw yesterday the union of church and state right in this nation the image of the beast the first beast and receive his what, everyone? The mark. You must look for a church that proclaims this kind of message on his forehead, on his hands. Friend, let's be honest. When was the last time you heard a message about God's hour of judgment, about giving glory to God, about keeping the Sabbath and worship the Creator, or about the beast, or the image of the beast, or the mark of the beast? Let's be honest. When was the last time we heard that? Okay, last night. <laughs> 
Thank you, thank you. Notice, notice here, the message doesn't stop there. Notice in verse 12. Jump with me to verse 12 in your Bibles. Right in verse 12 it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who do what, everyone? Keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Friends, this is the kind of message that you will see this worldwide movement. What kind of movement did I say? Worldwide movement proclaiming on the earth, calling the attention of people to keep God's commandments and worship the Creator God and abstain from worshiping the beast and receiving the mark of the beast in His image. So let's go on here, friends. God invites us to be part of His what, everyone? Last day movement. He's all the characteristics of God's people in the last days from the Bible. And you tell me if any of them is not from the Bible. Become a worldwide mission-driven movement. Is that from the Bible, yes or no? Oh, yes. Rise after 1798. Sometime after. Because remember, the true church during the wilderness experience from 538 to 1798 to 1260 years was hiding where, if you want? In the wilderness. So sometime after 1798, guess what happens? You will see the true church of God coming out of the wilderness. Another one is start where, if you want? In the new world. Remember, the earth helped the woman. More precisely in the United States of America, as a lot of people, you know, migrated from Europe to the new world fleeing religious persecution. And you see lots of them migrating to the United States of America. Another characteristic, is that from the Bible? Keep the Ten Commandments, yes or no? Worship the Creator by keeping the Sabbath holy. Is that from the Bible, yes or no? Have the manifestation of the gift of what, if you want? Prophecy. Is that from the Bible, yes or no? Proclaims what kind of message? The three angels' message, friends. The three angels' message. And I'll tell you, and I say this with my heart really contrite. I'm not uh, putting down anyone. But friends, many churches in our days, they are not preaching the three angels' messages. They are not warning the world about what is about to take place and what is happening and how to avoid deception. When Christ said over and over again that be careful in the last days there will be deception, deception, deception. Friends, let's break down here. God's true church. Let me take the first three characteristics. How many characteristics? Three. The first three says become a worldwide mission-driven movement. And the second, rise after 1798. And the third, start in the new world. I'm going to show you tonight, and friends, and I, I show you this because I must make the truth plain. I must make what plain, everyone? the truth okay friends this is not to put anyone down but you want me to preach truth or to give you nice stories to make you feel good what do you prefer you want the truth so here we go we are going to take only how many characteristics three okay only three of them and i'm gonna take the main denominations that have a worldwide impact are we following what kind of impact everyone Worldwide, I'm going to choose, you know, these ones. And there are some more that I'm going to show you later. But let me start with this one. But there is a problem there. You know, a lot of them did not rise after 1798. They were not hiding in the wilderness, but they started before 1798. And a lot of them didn't start in the new world, but they started in the old world. Are you ready for that? Notice what we find here. 
You know, churches that started before 1798 and therefore doesn't meet uh, the characteristic of God's people in the last days and outside of the United States or the new world where the earth helped the woman so they disqualified according to Bible prophecy. The Methodist church, it was started in what country, everyone? England. In what year? 1784. The Baptist church started where, everyone? In Holland in 1609. The Presbyterian church started where, everyone? Scotia in 1560. So we see that they fell. They are a worldwide movement. They have a worldwide impact, but they fell the, the following two characteristics before, you know, starting after 1798 and in the New World. And then we have the Lutheran Church or the Anglican Church first. It, it started in England, obviously, in 1534. The Lutheran Church started in Germany in 1520. And then we have the Roman Catholic Church in Europe, organized in the 4th century. Although there are traces of uh, the Roman Church all the way to the days of the Apostles, but it was organized in the 4th century. Now, friends, notice carefully here. Churches founded in the United States of America. So these ones, they have now, you know, like at least one more. They are a worldwide movement, and they now, you know, came about or were found in the United States of America. And some of them were found after 1798. They meet all three characteristics. Now, for instance, we have the Calvary Chapel, often known as what, everyone? non-denomination and uh, you know a lot of people they like to say i'm from non-denominational church they don't want to associate their names with any denomination they don't realize that the name of the denomination is non-denomination okay so we have the biggest one the calvary chapel association of the non-denominational churches uh, found in 1965 and they were found in the United States of America. Okay, so they are a worldwide movement. They were found in the United States of America. Okay, and they, are, they appear after 1798. They have all the three first characteristics. So they are in. And then you have the Assemblies of God in 1914. Also in the United States, they have all three first characteristics. They are in. The Seventh-day Adventist Church also have all three characteristics they are in. The Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, known as the Mormons, they have all three first characteristics they are in. You have the Episcopal Church, they have only two characteristics because one of them was found before 1798, and the true church should appear to the world sometime after the 1260 years in the United States of America. So that one must be eliminated, so we are left with the other four. The other four that has a world impact. And if you have any other denomination in your mind, you just put to the test of God's word. To the test of what, everyone? God's word. So let's see here. Now we must go to the rest of the characteristics because the word of God is so good that not only give, gave three characteristics, but gave how many characteristics? Do you remember? Seven characteristics. So let's go to one more to see if we start eliminating more churches. So the fourth characteristic, as we saw, was what, if you want? The fourth one? Keep the commandments of God. And that must be how many of the commandments? All. Because in James 2.10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So let's jump here really quick. And then that includes also to worship the Creator by keeping what, if you want? The Sabbath holy. So when you do that, what happens there with the four denominations that were left? So you ask yourself, does the Calvary Chapel or non-denominational movement, do they keep the whole Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath? Does the Assemblies of God also keep the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath? 
And the, does the Seventh-day Adventist Church keep the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath? Does the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints keep the, Sabbath, the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath? You have to make these questions, friends, in order to know the truth and find a true church. Because prophecy identifies of all these four churches, you find only one that keep the Ten Commandments of God, including the Fourth Commandment, the Sabbath. And that is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This is Bible prophecy, friends. But I want to tell you that we only saw so far how many characteristics? No, we saw five. We saw five. But God is so good, we already identified with only five. But God gave two more. How many more? Two more. And we are going to take advantage of those two more characteristics just to nail down that God is pointing that his people in the last days is none other than the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And let me tell you, there is nothing weird about the name Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh day, it means that we believe in the seventh day Sabbath. We believe in the Sabbath as the Lord's day. And the word Adventist means that you believe in the advent of Christ. In the what of Christ, everyone? Advent. What does it mean, the word Advent? The coming, the coming of Christ. Let me ask you a question here tonight. How many of you believe that Christ is coming soon? Okay, so if you believe that, guess what you are? You are an Advent. But there is a lot of Advent that are not Seventh-day Adventists. They are First-day Advent. Are you following what I'm trying to tell you, I'm not telling you about another denomination. I'm just saying that a lot of people, they believe in the second coming of Jesus, but they don't believe on the Sabbath. Are you following? So this name simply means that we are waiting for the coming of Jesus, and we believe that we must keep the Sabbath holy. That's why we call ourselves the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There's nothing strange about this name. We believe on the Sabbath as the Lord's day. We believe that salvation is through Christ and the way he saves us is by cleansing our sins, forgiving our sins, and also changing our hearts, including writing the commandments in the tables of our hearts and in our minds. So now, why a lot of, you know, why a lot of people perceive Seventh-day Adventists as a cult? Have you ever heard that uh, you know, the Adventists are a cult? And I'm going to tell you the reason uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church is perceived to be a cult. And we must deal with these things, friends. I, I, I must tell you the truth and lay out the truth here tonight. So there was a man by the name of Walter Martin. You know, back in the 50s and the 60s, he was known as the authority to define what a cult was. And he wrote a lot of books about a cult. The most famous one is called The Kingdom of the Cults, okay? And in his, one of his books, he put it there, among of all the cults, he included the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He included the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But when the leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church saw that, you know, they, they jumped really high and they said, we got to meet this guy. Let's have a conversation with him and understand why we are considered to be a cult. But the damage was already made. The book had already been published. It was out there. They had several meetings. The meetings lasted, you know, for, for a long period of time. After the meetings, he came to a new conclusion. What kind of conclusion? New conclusion. Let me read a little bit of his biography because you're going to see in his biography that there was a controversy in his writings about the cults. It says here, perhaps the greatest public controversy of his early career arose from his studies of who, everyone? 
Seventh-day Adventist theology. He indicated his opposition to Adventist teachings in a brief paragraph in the inaugural edition of his book, The Rise of the Cults, published in what year, everyone? In 1955. Notice what it says next. However, he, re, he did what, everyone? He reversed his views after a series of interviews with various leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And on reading Adventist, what kind of literature? Adventist literature. So after reading a lot, he changed his mind. And then it says the standpoint taken by Burnhouse, which was an associate that he chose to help him in that process in dialoguing with leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that was another theologian, Burnhouse and Martin, was that Adventists were largely what, everyone? Orthodox, meaning that they were in harmony with you know, the main doctrines of Christianity, on central doctrines, but heterodox on lesser doctrines, meaning that they defer in minor points of faith, like most denominations, they defer in minor points of faith, which I actually don't consider minor. Like, for instance, some churches, they believe in predestination. You know, not the way the Bible teaches, because the Bible does teach about predestination, that God has predestined everyone to be saved, but it's up to us to choose to go into his plan. But a lot of churches out there, some churches, I should say, they actually teach that God take away your free will, or rather, you have no free will. Some people are destined to be saved, and some people are destined to be burned. You know, like, these are varieties that you find in denominations that are not considered to be a cause. So they realize that. It's only minor issues. And so could be classified as belonging to what, everyone? The evangelical camp. So they chose that, and they put out statements in their magazine and in their new book and new editions, including the one I showed you, you know, the kingdom of the cause. But the damage had already been what? done okay the damage had already been done now let me show you the two remaining characteristics that we find number six number what everyone six have the manifestation of what the gift of prophecy you know remember the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy given to the brothering the brothering is the prophet so we must expect to see the manifestation of the gift of prophecy therefore we ought to expect god's remnant church in the last days to have a prophet or a prophetess and friends we're going to talk about end time prophets in a later presentation but let me tell you something about prophets something about who everyone prophets let me tell you notice what jesus said concerning john the baptist and concerning himself and you can add a lot more of the other prophets notice carefully here for john that's luke chapter 7 verse 33 and 34 for john the baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a what if you want a demon did you hear that the son of man who is the son of man Jesus Christ, it says, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, what kind of man? A glutton and a what? A wine biber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Friends, Jesus also says, you're probably familiar with this verse, you Israel that do what with the prophets? Stone and kill the prophets. Jeremiah was rejected, Isaiah was cutting huff. 
Now, if God sent the last day prophet, do you think that prophet will be well received or people will reject and speak all kind of, you know, like, uh, of, um, what's the word I'm looking here? You know, false information and accusation. Friends, you go to the internet, you're going to find all kinds of rubbish, but the, the Bible says, try the spirits. Do what with the spirits? Try the spirits to see it is for, if it is from God. And that's what we must do. Now, let's go to characteristic number f- seven. Proclaim what, everyone? The three angels' message. And this, for me, is the one that nails down everything. Friends, you must look for a church. If you want to follow the word of God, you must look for a church that proclaim the three angels' messages found in Revelation 14. Okay, the message which calls people to fear God and give glory to him. And that is a message of a lifestyle changed by the power of God. A message that proclaims the hour of the judgment. A message that proclaims the worship of the creator. A message that denounces the false doctrines of Babylon. And we haven't talked about that yet. But uh, I'm going to continue the series every Saturday, 11 o'clock. And we're going to talk about that. A message that exposes the beast, the image of the beast, the mark of the beast. And presents as a remedy keeping the commandments of Jesus through the faith of Jesus Christ. Friends... Here I present to you the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Just a few information in case you're not familiar. Present in how many countries? 235 countries. It's a worldwide movement, friends. And this according to the United Nations because we probably have presence in more countries, but the presence is not strong enough to be recognized. But according to the United Nations, we have a presence in 235 countries. More than 21 million members more than 8,000 schools, including universities, higher education, doctoral level studies, 59 publishing houses around the world, 198 hospitals and sanitariums, 329 clinics, 133 nursing homes and retirement centers, 21 orphanages and children's homes. This is not talking about ministries, schools that were established by lay people. Do you understand when I say lay people? People that are not ordained, people that are not ministers. A lot of Seventh-day Adventist uh, members have established ministries and institutions all over the world. I myself, before uh, coming into the ministry as a pastor, I established uh, one institution in the country of Brazil where we taught young people to proclaim the three angels' messages. They didn't want to be a pastor. That's okay. We still teach you to proclaim the three angels' message. And we taught also about, you know, like uh, how to treat people with simple remedies and simple treatments but all those numbers are not counted here not included here let me tell you about something that happened in rwanda where what continent is rwanda in africa in 2004 what year did i say 2004 our church held an evangelistic campaign um, preaching the words you know from the book of daniel revelation the three angels message we have 10,000 people making decision to be baptized and give their hearts to Jesus and become a part of this world movement. But back in 2016, we have here 12 years later, the same effort was made, but God blessed the effort and we had more than 100,000 people in Rwanda being baptized in that evangelistic campaign. It was evangelistic preaching throughout the nation. We see that the Holy Spirit is really moving and impressing the hearts of people to become part of this worldwide movement. Friends, 
Even though the movement is worldwide, remember that God's church is not a what, everyone? In the majority. Never was. Never was. The way that leads to eternal life is straight. And wide is the gate that leads to perdition. You can never base truth on what, everyone? Majority vote. Truth is truth whether religious leaders accept it as truth or not. We find truth in the word of God and we must objectively, practically go down the list in order to find truth. It must compare line upon line, here a little, there a little, and through the study of the word of God we find truth in the Bible. And friends, tonight God is inviting each one of us to make a decision. Friends, you know, we have been here 12 nights exposing the word of God to you. I never, never use the opinion of man. I never use anything other than the word of God. And, uh, and tonight, friends, I believe that Christ is making an appeal through the teachings of his word to each one of us to make a decision to give our hearts to him. What do you think? Friends, you can't hear this kind of message and not make a decision. We all must, you know, and, and let me tell you this, that message came in one point of my life. If you think I was born in a Seventh-day Adventist home and my parents raised me in the church, going to church every Sabbath, and my life was always like that, and one day I decided to go to the seminary and become a pastor, you're wrong. I came first in contact with this message. I was already 18 years old. I know I was still young, and some of you, it's a lot, a lot older than me, but I was 18 years old. Nobody of my family was a Seventh-day Adventist. How many people did I say? No one. No one, no support from the family. I have to make a stand for myself. And friends, you may say, oh, it's so easy for you because you're young. Let me tell you, it was difficult for me because the young people that I hang around, they were smoking pot, they were using cocaine, they were going to feast, they were doing all kinds of craziness that I was involved, and that wasn't easy for me. I was by myself. But when the truth comes to us, we must make a what, everyone? A decision. We must make a decision because Christ is knocking on the heart. How is he knocking through the heart? Through the word of God, through the truth. And when he knocks on the heart, he says in Revelation 3, verse 20 and 21, you know, I come to the door and knock. If anyone hear my what, if you want? My voice. How does the voice of Christ is heard today, my friends? Through the preaching of God's word. If anyone hear my voice and then they have a decision to make and open the door, I will come in and sup with him, meaning I will have fellowship with him. And that's what Christ is calling us tonight. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to come into our hearts. He's not saying that we must uh, despise or depreciate our experience in the past and reject everything we have learned so far. No, he wants you to keep all the light that you have received so far, but he wants you to take a step farther. He wants you to continue to grow. And he sent truth not to humiliate, to make you feel bad or to make you feel stupid, but he sends truth to heal, to restore and to bless you. Why not to make a decision tonight, friends? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.